Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome! Hey, it's good to be back on Countercharge. This is Mark Zelinsky. And this is Steve Hoji. And I am Jeremy Duvall. My own welcome! So <laughs> I, 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 as you hear, I am excited to have Countercharge Emeritas um the godfather himself mark Zelinsky, on the show along with my brother from another mother steve hildrew really excited to have you guys on the show today uh, as we do our uk clash of kings we have we have a little after action report to talk about mark's adventure to the uk talk with steve a little bit about how the largest kings of war tournament ever went um how are you guys doing today I am doing just fine. I'm excited to be here with you, Jeremy. And uh, yeah, great topic. I can't wait to talk. And then we may have something at the end of the episode that'll make life even more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm also excellent. And I'm I'm really happy to be here and uh, feeling like it's 2021. Yeah, well, we always say uh, once part of the countercharge family, always part of the countercharge family. So I'm excited to I'm excited to have you guys on to talk about all things Clash of Kings. Uh, Before we get into there, uh, Mark, what have you uh, been up to hobby wise besides trying to compete with Felix for the best hobby murder basement? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll never defeat Felix for the best murder basement. He's got that award. So mine is full of hobby, as you can see. So I, for some reason, I'm supposed to be painting Rift Forge Orcs for the counter charge uh, painting slow grow, but I just started assembling halflings. So um, for some reason, so that's what I'm working on right now. Matter of fact, I put my 500 point list, another one together. And uh, the reason I did that was because the Clash of Kings book came out. So things changed a little bit. So I have to refresh some of my lists and that happened to be the first one. And um, yeah, I had some time and they're right here, sitting here in this box. And uh, I keep staring at them. So I just started putting them together. So I'm going to do a 500 point uh, uh, halfling force. That's going to be my next paint job. I don't know why I'm having a hard time with the Rift Forge Orcs. Maybe Steve can give me some encouragement. So uh, I did get to play them at Clash of Kings, though, which was fun. Uh, the other thing I'm working on is 10 millimeter Kings of War. I think Colin and I are breaking that out again tonight. So, and we're going to try it on a one and a half foot by one and a half foot table tonight. See how it works out. So, <laughs> cool. And what are you using for your 10 millimeter, Mark? What model are you using? Like 3D printed stuff, random stuff, old school Warmaster? What what models are you using? Uh, right now, we're using uh, Forest Dragon miniatures. Okay, so cool. which are the the ones that came out for Warmaster Revolution? The big thing about them is they have the models set up as individual sculpts. You don't have to print them as strips. Mm-hmm. So I am doing like more half size Kings of War. So I found the Kings of War bases online, half sized them to print them out on the three D printer, and then I uh, print the uh, Forest Dragon miniatures, and then it's just like painting a teeny 
Kings of War base. You know, I still flock it and put the little miniatures on it and everything. Very and, cool. Yeah, so it works out great. You know, I mean, they're lizard men are now salamanders, and you know, you kind of work through it. So now, how I understand Warmaster Revolution is that sort of like the community sort of evolution of Warmaster. Rule right. wise, yeah, right, right. okay, yeah, kind of like I the thought. ninth age, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> like the, the ninth age equivalent, but for that that game system, right, exactly. I was a big fan of Warmaster back in the day. That came out when I was um, uh, in my game store days, so that was uh, I like the idea of ten millimeter. I've never got really gotten into it for Kings of War, but I love the idea of the epic size armies. Well, I'm I'm doing it more for travel size, so. Yeah, easy, uh, easy to take with you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, well, you in want your to pocket. Take this. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Nice. What is that? Pokemon is pocket monsters. So we got sure. pocket war gaming out of it. So yeah, uh, yeah, it should be cool. So Kyle and I were talking about cutting up one of his foam display boards and making one and a half foot by one and a half foot uh battlefields. So we're gonna try the one and a half on cloth first, see if it works out. And we're happy because we've been playing it on the bigger table, two by two, uh, or no, three by three. We've been playing it on the three by three. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try cutting that into a quarter and see how it works. So nice. Very cool. What about you, Steve? I know you're probably still decompressing, you know, after running a big tournament. I know you have other stuff on your agenda. Uh, I, have you been getting any hobby in a little bit, a lot, or like, where are you at hobby wise? Oh yeah. I've just painted a whole army. So there's no there's no pause there's no break for me. I think I took like a week uh, to tidy up my stuff, and then I jumped. We jumped a we jumped straight back into organizing Clash of Kings 24 immediately, and and then also I had some tournaments coming up, and I didn't want to play uh, my army, so I'd kind of um I'd planned to make a Night Stalkers army uh, after they'd made some Soul Flayers uh, available on the vault, and then I decided ah I'll just do that. So I took about two and a half three weeks and painted a whole army. Of, uh, of Night Stalkers. So I did that. And then, so I'm going to, it's a tournament called the War of the Roses, uh, which is run by an awesome guy called Todd. It's his first tournament and he's got 32 players, which is great. Uh, that's tomorrow. And then two weeks after that, I, I'm running my tournament, the, the my smaller tournament, the Birmingham Bull Run. Uh, so which I need to finish the arrangements for that. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been doing, and then uh, and then uh, sorting out Clash against Twenty Four, getting that sorted. So it's it's never it's never you know I do have also a life and a job. So uh, <laughs> at some point I need to sleep. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like our hobby plans, right? It's like the, the the hobby plans is an ocean of gray plastic or resin, and we have a bucket, and no matter what you do, you'll never un you'll you'll never empty the ocean. You could you can fill the buckets all day long. That's how it is with hobby. There's always something, right? Always some project or some some idea or something percolating. But that's why I love hobby is that there's always something you can be working on, no matter Absolutely. what. So yeah, and and the bull run, uh, uh, you've run that a couple of times, right? So is this what what number is this? This is number four. This is the fourth number one. Four. Nice. The fourth Birmingham Bull Run, which um, I appear to have given a stupid theme to. I, I, I've, I foolishly let the community vote on the theme. So, uh, and then uh, I can't remember. You know, like, it's terrible. I can't remember. I'm having to look up what it's called now, um, even though it's my tournament. So it's called the Bull Monty. You know, only, you know the only, only professionals here. So it's the, right, the Bull Monty. The Bull Monty. <laughs> so you, you know the Bull Monty with the strippers? Yes. Uh-huh. So we, uh, yeah. we went with the, with the Bull Monty, and I got a little bit carried away with the special character. The special character who who literally strips off through the game. So he uh, he starts off at speed two, defense six, and he ends up speed seven, defense two. 
Oh, as he's uh, 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 getting rid of his attire. Right, exactly, and then he and then and he gains like dread uh, as he as he removes his clothes <laughs> and and phalanx in the final uh, turn. Say, that's yeah. hilarious. You don't want to go near him. You're like, you you, you do you, bro. Uh, it's all good. Yeah, so it's a stupid character, but that's just a little, just a fun, fun little. I say little tournaments. It's also thirty-two players, but um, which is all right, which is pretty good. So we're 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 on target for that. So that should be a a good laugh for everyone. Yeah, I think that's 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 my sum total. I might skip the bull run for next year. I haven't quite decided yet, just because I'm also helping. I'm I'm not running it, but I'm helping out running UK Masters as well. And I think with UK oh, Masters nice. and Clash of Kings. I'd like to actually play some Kings of War as well. Yeah, that's a lot on your. Uh, to be running multiple events in a year and then also still wanting to be play playing, yeah. right? That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so for your guys, uh, the one days in the UK, are you guys? I think usually doing four games or three games. It's three games usually here. It's it's okay. not ideal. And among we're only we're playing nineteen ninety five for the Bull Run. It's nineteen ninety five for the War of the Roses tomorrow as well. Three games uh -huh. in nineteen ninety five. It's it's a more chilled out vibe. It's not, um, you know, because they're quite big as well, these tournaments now, because the scene is growing. If you have 30-plus players, three games doesn't really cut it. You end up with, you know, yeah, you can easily have three or four people on three wins. So it, it's interesting. I think the one tomorrow is really interesting. He's got secondary object objectives in every... So it's called War of the Roses. War of the Roses uh, of the English Civil War. Yeah. Um, uh, Lancastrians versus... So the White Rose versus the Red Rose, basically. The Tudors, I yeah. think. Tudor Rose versus the Lancastrian Rose. Um, so each table has um, three objectives on it, one of which is worth two points, two of which are worth one point. And they're in addition, they don't affect the outcome of the individual game. But if you capture the objectives, then they give you a tournament point or two tournament points. So it's like a little, it's going to come down to who's got the most additional objectives who wins the actual tournament in the end. It won't be me because uh, I've, lost, <laughs> I've lost all five of my practice games with this army. So it's not looking great for me. So I'm very much coming in this, if you'll forgive me, the Zelensky of the tournament. Oh, Steve, Steve, the fact that you lost all your games means you're due to win. So <laughs> that's just fine, right? <laughs> that's how it works. Maybe I should just, uh, the thing is I couldn't change my list because I'd set what I was making and painting and I did it all so quickly in three weeks. Um, I didn't have time to put in anything useful. I was just really, this is the list. You just got you just got to suck it up, buddy. That's kind of how the approach that I took. And uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm just going for fun, really. Haven't played in a while, so. Well, I mean, that's awesome that you guys are getting the, you know, the 25 to 35 for one days. I mean, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's great participation. So, it's it's a really um, growing scene in the UK at the moment. I genuinely think it is. I think it's different in different parts of the country, but we're seeing huge booms, particularly in the in, this, in the middle of the country where I live in the Midlands. Um, we've got a lot of players, a lot of new players. There's six new players at this tournament tomorrow. Um, from from Todd's club, which I think is fantastic. We always get new players at the bull run as well. So uh, it's not it, it takes a lot. You know, there's a lot of work in building the community and and stuff like that. I was a bit disappointed. My uh, I just found a local store that was willing to host Kings of War Nights here, and then uh, they went bankrupt and immediately oh, closed. Man. We've had like three gaming venues close in in a period of three months in the Midlands. So it's it's hard mm. to grow a community without a store. But you've done loads of shows on this, right? So. Why do you think the stores are closing? Oh, uh, this is just, um, it's post-COVID effects. So in this particular case, the the landlord claimed the arrears in their rent all at once. He just wanted all his money now, please. You know, all the arrears of rent because they weren't earning over COVID because they weren't open. And so they, they put it back and put it back, put it back. And he was like, the business was doing fine. It was making a profit, but obviously it had this huge arrears of rent. 
he claimed them all at the same time and um, they closed. That's it. Straight overnight nightmare. Oh, so it's just, oh. um, yeah, it's a, it's a shame really. It was a great space. I was, I was happy to have found it and I managed to play one game there and now it's gone. <laughs> now it's gone. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe they can move into a new space or something, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Being an evil landlord myself, I understand what, the, what happened there, but um, yeah, that, that, that's too bad. Yeah, I mean, that's a rough situation for everyone, right? It's a rough situation for the businesses who can't afford the pay rent. And then if you're, it's, it's you know, not uh, like you said, I think some, uh, there's good landlords and bad, whatever you want to say, if you're a landlord, that's your business, right? You need the rent from your properties to live your, and feed your own family. So it was like a, a tough situation for everyone involved, I think. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of not on the landlord's side there. No offense, Mark. But yeah. <laughs> hey, you <laughs> also have a mortgage. You also have a mortgage to pay. So yeah. you know it makes it tough. I mean, yeah. you know, the bank usually is not giving the owner of the property any type of leeway. They want to get paid. You know, particularly. Mm -hmm. Well, I I don't want to go into the real estate business, but <laughs> uh, you know, you guys will get me started. But anyways, we'll do another. So we'll do another conversation. Uh, uh, how to become a real know. estate tycoon. <laughs> uh, All right. but yeah it's a tough situation for everyone i hope they can find another space and they can reopen yeah. so i'm going to keep my fingers crossed for that one me, me too I, I, know it's play. <laughs> I think what you what you say is true though steve we've talked a lot about that uh, uh especially the orange county southern california la guys since they play so much at scott holcomb's house they've now started to try to do uh game days at the local game store just because how much of a scene can you grow if you're not out in front of the public? Uh, you need to have sort of like that home base where you can go, where people can walk by. And more importantly, I think the other component of that is, and, and we've talked a lot about this recently on After Dark and the show. And I'm curious since, the, you know, to hear your perspective, Steve, as in the UK, in a scene that's growing, I wonder how important it is. You walk into the store, right? You see people playing. Oh, what are you guys playing? Oh, we're playing Kings of War. Oh, that looks awesome. Where is it on the shelf? You need to be able to show someone, oh, here's the rule books, here's an army box or whatever. It seems to me that areas in the in the, in the world globally, when you look at scenes where the game is growing, there seems to be a component of people using Mantic miniatures. I think there is something when you get into a game, you want to feel like people in that game are invested in the world, invested in the game. But can you riff on that maybe a little bit, Steve? Are you guys seeing that in the UK as people uh, investing in Mantic miniatures? Or how important do you think that is as a part of growing a scene? Oh, I think absolutely. I think, you know, there's this... There's two ways uh, of to, to grab players, isn't it? One is the old Warhammer players who've got an army. Yeah, you can just use your old miniatures. That's that's fine. I'm, I'm not seeing those people as much as the new players. And then there's a couple who will come in. You say, you can use your old Wood Elves. And they're like, oh, wow, that's really exciting. Um, but actually, the, the scenes that are growing exponentially, and I'll use the, the scene in a little town called Gloucester that my friend Rich is growing, the store owner's really invested in Mantic as well. He's a big fan. Obviously, he's got loads of 40K as well because that brings people in, but he's he's got Mantic on the shelves and he's a big supporter. They run like tiny tournaments all the time. Uh, they've got slow grow. They have a regular ambush night and their scene has gone from strength to strength to strength. And I'm really unbelievably furiously jealous of them because it's it's all there. And they have, you know, they have, they're regularly, they've gotten demos, they bring the armies, people are buying Mantic armies. And it's not quite the same here. We've we've kind of won the battle for Mantic miniatures here, I think. Everyone yeah. is kind of invested in that. And we, we haven't seen that elsewhere as much. And people still love, people still like to print things, but actually by and large, 
as long as they're not overly disgustingly priced, people are investing in the Mantic miniatures here as much as they can. You know, and, and you know, we saw that Clash of Kings was 75% plus all Mantic, and it's really nice to see. It doesn't have to be that way, I think, but having the stuff on the shelf. What Mantic have done that's really good is there's mini rule books, the little mini rule books that you get with your orders now. Um, yes. They're, they're super because you can just, if someone comes in, is that Kings of War? And you're like, yeah, yeah but they talk about it a bit. And you, know, you can have this rule book if you like, it's free. And that's the basic rules. Easy, bosh, you've got them. That's a that's a great, something they should have done a long time ago, I think. But uh, uh, I was reflecting back, I found on, on my shelf, my little collection of um, old miniature rule books from like, I've been collecting them from, I wasn't around at version one, but the old version one miniature rule books and the fold out poster with the rules on the back, I've got a collection of nearly all of them. Mm-hmm. And the old Mantic journals and stuff like that. That that you know they've gone back to that, which I think is superb. So quite a little stack of those, yeah. But I think yeah, it takes all sorts, doesn't it? Really, you just need to someone needs to be interested, and then they need to play a game and get hooked, and then you, you go from there. Well, I think the idea is making, and I'm curious as an old old GW guy, Mark. I think I think we need to as we transition from. I'm still playing Warhammer. I'm just using Kings of War rules to the idea of I am playing a game in Panathor. I'm playing a game in Mantica. I'm using the Mantic models. I know the characters. I know the lore as Wing Tazar is building out the lore. That I think the game will grow more as we, if we transition into that place of we're invested, we're playing here, as opposed to, well, I'm just playing Warhammer, but I'm just using this other rule set because the rule set's pretty good. Right. Well, I mean, we're, what, eight years after the Sundering at this point? I mean, there's very few people trans- transferring from Warhammer Fantasy to Kings of War right now. So except for some people that have been out of the hobby and the last time they played that many years ago, you know, played Warhammer, kind of like what Steve alluded to. So so I don't think you're running into that. The big thing is getting people to play ranks and flanks. And I think Mantic's done an excellent job. I have some of those mini rule books Ronnie hooked me up with before I left to head home. And, you know, now you get a little rule book and an ambush box and, you know, there's ways to get them. Uh, you know, I mean, my hobby shop, unfortunately, we've got one big red book, which is now obsolete and a abyssal ambush set, which I have so many abyssal m- models. I might just have to suck it up and buy it, but uh, you know, and they're getting redone this year. So mm-hmm. it's like, I'm going to talk to him this afternoon when I pick Colin up uh, from the shop today and say, man, Jim, see, see if he can get that rotated out of there. But uh, you know, we can start growing. I, I won't be able to do the pathfinder thing until I retire, but uh, that that's what I'm kind of planning on to keep myself busy. <laughs> so. Well, that's good. You know, and I know there's a local store in Napa called loose caboose hobbies that sells Warhammer. They sell train stuff, game stuff, and they've just got a little Mantic kiosk and they started with all the terrain crate stuff because they sell a lot of role-playing game things. So, I mean, I think that's a good intro as a store owner into carrying a Mantic line. That terrain crate line is great for, you could use it for all sorts of things. And then I went in there the other day and I was like, oh, I want to pre-order uh, some stuff. Mantic's coming out with the Twilight Kin uh, piece. He's like, I don't know how much I'm going to stock on an active basis, but I'm happy to order anything for, for you. So I was just like, okay, great. So I went in there and he's like, okay, so what do you want to get? And I was just like, uh, uh, I want a cheeseburger. I want a hot dog. I was like, okay, I need the mega army. I need a regular army. I need the hero pack. Uh, and they're like, oh wow, okay. So I mean, I'm trying to at least at least order if they're not if my local store is not going to fully stock everything, still order everything that I need from there. 
And then I'm a, I'm a freak. I was so worried about them not getting it in time that I also ordered uh, Army from Chris Fisher on Troll. So I have like everything you can think of is coming in for Twilight Kin. So um, R.I.P. Jeremy's bank account. That's all. Oh yeah, see. seriously, that was uh, all of my all of my hobby purchases for the next six to eight months is done. So now I bought my Twilight Kin, and then now it's about saving for Adepticon. So I'm planning early for 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 uh, because Adepticon is a not a, a a a cheap trip. So I have, and that's really what I've been working on hobby wise. I've been uh, I've sent some pictures. I know I sent uh, something to you, Steve. I've been working on uh, getting my basing done. I've started painting um, phantoms. So I've gotten some of the resin phantoms. So painting the sort of the Night Stalker elements of the list first, since I was able to buy those models while waiting for the main twilight kin and then i've just been losing a lot i've been playing on i've been <laughs> i've been playing on ub and what i like to do when i'm testing a list is i've been playing against adam ballard playing against tom annis playing against keith randall i try to find the best players in in the country and have them make the nastiest of lists and then that's what i try to test my list on and i know that i've made a good list once i finally don't lose so uh so far i've lost six or seven games as I'm as I'm testing out the Twilight Ken to figure out uh, w- what I want to take, we're going to be doing a army review. I'm actually recording it tomorrow. I'm not sure if it will come out before or after this, but we're recording a Twilight Ken army v- review with Elliot uh, from the UK and Corey Reynolds. So we're going to be looking at all things Twilight Ken. So stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, so that's really what I've been doing hobby wise is getting. Oh, and. I have been uh, using my airbrush finally. I took the airbrush out of the garage and was like, uh, let me actually see if I can't figure out how to use this. So I've been priming. I've been doing Zenithel priming. I've also been laying down some base coats. And so far, I'm just in love as far as a tool because I'm so slow as being like a good tool to uh, speed up the process. The only thing that stops me from using it, and I've already ruined one, <laughs> so is cleaning it. So, how are you finding that? Have you come up with a really good method to clean it? It's so pretty. It... So far, it's been, been pretty easy. Like, um, what I did is I, I did a little bit of like I felt like I was maybe in the military or something. I took it all all apart, you know, and put it back together. I think once you learn like what all the parts do and just become comfortable with it, and just realize that it's like. It's okay to take it apart. You're not going to break it. You know, just be careful with your needle. Uh, and I just, in between colors, I, I take a second and clean it out. And there's some great um, uh, hobby cheating. Uh, Vince from Warhammer Weekly has a couple of great videos on how to do a medium clean, like in between colors, and then how to actually break down an airbrush and clean it. But once you've done it, it's it's not difficult. It's just time consuming. It is part of it is part of a. a uh, the airbrush does save you time, but you are spending more time as far as the clean cleaning of it. But I still think it's great. I like it. The Zenithel, I'm a real fan of because it does really help guide your highlighting, having a sense of what your lighting is going to be. And that's what I've tried to do. I find, I think as you're learning how to be a painter, right, we all sort of start off maybe the GW way, right, which is the edge highlight. And then as you grow as a painter, you start to think about in in painting or art, it's called light volumes. So instead of just painting the edge of everything, you're trying to think about how would light look on this model? Because in the end, that's what we're doing when we paint, right? We're trying to create a sense of light on the model. 
Uh, so that's what I feel like uh, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about the last year in hobby is how does light work? How does light look on a model? Uh, as I try to think about taking painting to the next level. Well, that is awesome. I don't know if I'll ever get there, Jeremy. So one day, maybe one you know, day, you, maybe. <laughs> just, uh, keep, keep at it, Mark. Keep focusing. Keep trying. You know, you have you, pl- you have plenty of time left. I'm just kidding. Um, oh yeah. Well, I hope I have plenty of time left. So, but... <laughs> oh wow, that's pretty cold, man. I know, that, that got pretty dark. That got pretty dark there for a second. So yeah, plenty of time. Um, well, I did absolutely. Just get... I did just get back from Refugees of the Old World, which is our friend Bed Stodder's tournament in Rexburg, Idaho. So that was really fun. I went 4-0-1 and finished in third place. Uh, I had a, a huge brain fart moment. We were The last game we were playing was Invade. And I totally forgot, as part of Refugees, you got a refugee individual character, and the individual had unit strength one. So my individual, standing one inch, on my my side of the board for three turns and all i had to do was move him one inch and win and made and i didn't do it and then at the end of the game he were counting up all the score and he had his character on my side of the board and he's like oh i draw that guy's worth one unit strength and i was like he is and i was just like oh man that hurts would you have won with that i would have i would have won that game Mm. and then i would have won the tournament too had i moved that guy one inch so but you learn, you live and you learn. And it was, it was, it was a little bit, we've all had it right. End of day two, brain fog, when you've been playing Kings of War for two days at a two-day tournament, and you're and you're just not quite as sharp as you were the rest. And I'm just so out of habit of thinking about individuals with unistrength. But great tournament, super fun. Some of the uh, Edmonton guys came down from Canada, so got to meet them. Had a bunch of great games. I was playing the EOD which is always a fun list to play. I love playing EOD in tournaments just because I never have any clock problems because I move up, your turn. I move, your turn. It's a very quick-to-play army because it's really a counter-punching. You react to what your opponent does. So really, you don't... It's whether, as opposed to the base alia, which is all about setting up, you know, your, I got to charge, I got to block space, I got to be the aggressor. EOD is a whole completely different vibe of an army so but super fun so now i'm just gonna be working on the twilight kin coming coming into the fall and into the winter time and then my goal is i mean my pie in the sky goal is to have them done for adepticon but more likely maybe lone wolf or some sometime in the summer have them done worst case scenario have them done by fall of next year but i have a good 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 momentum right now so Oh, very cool. Yes, my Twilight Kin models, I just got the shipping notice, have left Nottingham. So they were just outside Heathrow Airport last I checked the FedEx box. So they're going to be coming sometime this week. I am very excited. So uh, this is the order I placed with Ronnie before I left. So (laughs) remember that, Steve? You're like, oh, Ronnie got you for more money before you left. (laughs) <laughs> yeah he was literally i walked in to pick him up and, and ronnie is writing the order down on a table with pencil like literally on chipboard writing the order down oh yeah we'll get you this and that and the other yeah yeah give me give me your money and mark's like spending a hundred if ronnie's gonna actually do your own order and do your invoice i mean uh uh that's like service right that's pretty good 
the invoice is actually the table of, cut out. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny because I, I uh, sent a note over to, to uh, Mantic just to kind of check on it because, you know, I hadn't seen a shipping notice in the 18th past. And uh, I got a note from Ronnie. It's like, I had your order in my office. So it's like, all right. So they piled everything together and they're shipping it over. So I cannot wait for my box of joy to arrive. So hopefully this coming week, it'll be here. So, cause I, you know me, I'm going to try to put 500 points of twilight kin together, but I bought more than that. I got the Gore Drake and Mikael and everybody. So twilight kin was actually my first army. No, no. Yeah. My second army in first edition. So I still have a first edition. It was my first tournament army in first edition. So cool. Yeah. We, yeah, we played that at, um, Ocon. Uh, Rob was there actually too. So it was, yeah, we played, it was a thousand point tournament. It was the very first uh, Kings of War tournament we played in. And uh, yeah, I even had a war machine in there. There's no war machines in this one. So (laughs) (laughs) So we got void skiffs. So I'm looking forward to your army review. Yes. So we'll be talking about all that. Um, So stay tuned for that. And uh, we're also going to be so we're going to be talking about Twilight Kin both during the Twilight Kin Army review, and then we're also going to be getting the scrying gems together to talk about the U- the new uh, Clash of Kings book. So I imagine during that conversation, Twilight Kin will, will also come up as far as where they fit in the overall meta versus just their own army review. So stay tuned for uh, lots of uh, juicy elf info. So. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break. On, on, on the other side, we're going to talk all things Clash of Kings UK. So we'll be right back. I'm Ronnie from Magic Games, and you're listening to Counter Charge. I'm Andy2D6, the Orange Legend, and you're listening to Counter Charge. Get ready to charge those counters. And we are back. So before we get into this last year's Clash of Kings and sort of Clash of Kings 2024, how did it sort of come uh for you to sort of take the reins of running uh clash steve can you take us a little bit through sort of how did that evolve um so i was at um clash of kings last year 2022 um in which is a uh, london gt and it was uh, run by mantic and um uh at the time all of the staff at mantic got covid all at the same time, apart from like two or three. So it ended up with poor Elliot, who was like brand new to the company, Kyle, who'd literally arrived on an airplane, um, and Ronnie, and then a couple of other guys who kind of popped in to, to run the shop, you know, um, to run the whole thing. And, you know, Elliot and Kyle had to set everything up on their own. It took them hours and hours. And so, you know, they, they did a really, really good job. But there was things about it that, um, as a player, I looked out and I was like, ah... I'd, I'd want to do this differently if I was running it, you know, and I'd, I'd, I was in, I'd run my own tournaments a couple of times and I'd been talking with some friends and I just kind of, I'd, I'd had a couple of beers uh, at the event and I kind of went to Ronnie and went, hey, you know what, Ronnie, I'll run it for you. And he went, yeah, okay, great, brilliant. Um, <laughs> and uh, bit my whole arm off um, at, at, at the wrist. So I think they they knew, I think, as a company that makes games, they make games. They're not really about running events, right? They ran Clash of Kings because it was their flagship event. But what they um, they didn't, we talked to them pre- previously about the idea of players helping to run Clash of Kings, and they'd been positive about it, and it just kind of evolved from that. And I think just having someone who was dumb enough to to take it on 
was probably a dream come true for them because I think he he'd suggested a couple of people I could work with, and then I picked some other TOs that I knew that I trusted and and I knew would be able to give me the time and would be willing. And I I kind of begged them, and and we quickly formed a kind of group of people who were willing to do it, and picked it up and and just ran with it pretty much. Um, you know, with a lot of support from Mantic last year, um, we showed we could do it, and then. And then it just went really well. So mm. that's pretty much just I've got basically beer, a stupid idea, and then too bloody minded to give it up. And I, I love I love I love the, the the Ronnie impersonation is great. And I can imagine <laughs> I just love it. Oh, um, that was spot on, Steve. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good, pretty <laughs> good. Uh, so I'm curious, as a, as a TO and running a big event like this, and I think you see this a lot in senior leadership in companies or whatever. You think about this idea of vision, mission, values, right? So when you were talking about uh, sort of looking at, oh, I may r- run things differently or whatever, when you were getting ready to run a big thing like Clash, do you spend, do you think about that at all before you go into just, okay, we're going to have this amount of games, before you go into just to the brass tax logistics, do you think about what is my vision, what is my mission, what is my values, what do I want to promote as my tournament? Did you, you have that dialogue at all with yourself or with the other people running the tournament or when you're getting ready to run a big event like this? I think we sat down as a committee and, and kind of agreed that what we wanted to run, we wanted to make it the best the best event it could possibly be. Uh, we wanted it to be really a premium, premium event. We very much took a lot of Nick's, Nick Williams's um, ethos that he took for Northern Kings. So Northern Kings GT is the best run GT I've ever been to. Just so smooth and so much thought and consideration the way that the Northern Kings run their events is absolutely premium. And I was kind of like, I want that, but for Clash of Kings. I want Clash of Kings. people Because people come from all over the world to Clash of Kings. It's a really big deal and people see it. And, you know, I, I want everything at it to be premium. I wanted it to be as good as it could possibly be. And that was really the vision we set ourselves, I think. And then everything else was just feeling, oh, we didn't have like a mission or a value or anything. We didn't even know it was going to be that big. We were hoping for 80 players. And when we put the tickets out and we had some ideas about expandability, but when it really started to kick off, I think it was just, it, it gathered a life of its own. So that was really what we went at it. We just wanted it to be the best it could possibly be. You know, we've been, we're lucky enough amongst us all to have been to US tournaments who, a lot of which are very super premium style tournaments, which I know is Nick's, um, the Northern Kings rather their their ethos as well, having been to America and seen how good those tournaments are. Um, why not? You know, why can't we do that in the home of wargaming? Why can't we do that here? There's no reason to not, apart from the price of everything here being so much higher. Um, so yeah, that was the ethos. Just make it as good as it could be. Well, I mean, you have a good opportunity, right? You have the, the support from the companies making the game. It's it's in you know uh, the the home of wargaming. So that I think that's like a good idea, right? To try to make it a, a marquee event, one that's worth traveling you know uh, traveling for and i wonder if sometimes with events you can promote them you can do them but it sort of takes like a secret sauce or like a momentum and i really felt that when people were getting ready for for clash last year it was people were talking about it people were signing up and then it's almost like a snowball once a certain amount of people express interest that they're gonna go all of a sudden it just it just rolls so is that kind of what you're talking about where you were hoping for a certain amount of players, but all of a sudden it's like, oh man, we have 90. Oh, we have a hundred. Well, we have a hundred. Was it, was that just like really exciting during that period seeing just how the interest? Yeah, it was, it was slightly exciting, slightly nerve wracking as well, because we, um, 
the venue. So I'll talk about the venue, um, which um, not to preempt the discussion, which we're going to roll into in about 10 minutes. But, you know, we're staying at the same venue for next time. It's a great venue. It's a club. And it's, a, it's actually the, the Nottingham Trent University Student Union. And it has its own club. And it's not like a student club, like some grimy, dingy club. It's a proper nightclub. You know, it's 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 got a stage. It's got a massive kind of dance floor area. It's got bars. It's got and upstairs on the balcony. It's got a proper seating area with a cafe, you know, where they have a cafe and a proper kitchen, um, which is awesome. But it, it's limited numbers. So we did a lot of mapping and, you know, I played around in various packages like plunking tables in different configurations. And I figured how many people I could fit into that venue. And it was around 80-ish downstairs. And then if I played Silly Bugger, I could probably shift some tables around upstairs. Basically, what I figured out was that absolutely rammed into that venue, I could fit 100 people. And the problem was that, so next door to this club, you open these double doors at the back of the club, and there's a bloody great big sports hall, which is absolutely awesome. That's how they do the university events. But then I would have to pay X thousand pounds more to hire that. Um, So I needed... Uh, more than 100 people to buy tickets or 96 people to buy tickets in order to be able to unlock the second hall. So there was a very tense period where we were teetering towards that number of players. And I knew that it wouldn't be very comfortable in the actual venue if it stopped there, if actually no one else wanted to buy tickets. And I was like, oh, uh, if I have between 96 and 100 players, it's going to be awful because I'm not going to be able to fit them in. And then, but what happened was that that was slightly nerve wracking, but then people just carried on buying tickets and carried on buying tickets and carried on buying tickets. And I thought, Oh my God, actually this is going bigger than I, I've ever imagined. And we, we actually maxed out. We we sold all the tickets um, before the early bird window expired. And then there were people who went, Oh, I was, uh, I was looking for a ticket and there's none left. And if you haven't run a tournament, that is something interesting to think about. Often when you're running a tournament, you have to sign the contract for the venue before you know exactly how many people are even going to sign up. So sometimes you'll say, okay, I'm going to, I have to put my own money down and for me to break even, I need to have 30 players or whatever. So ideally as a TO, you're trying to pick a venue that is uh, uh, commiserate with how many players you expect to have. But I know, you know, if, if not a lot of people show up or whatever, uh, running TOs is not something that running tournaments is not something TOs do to make money. I mean, I've, you know, often you have money, uh, more money going out than coming in when you're running a tournament, you do it as a part of the community and as a thing to sort of support your uh, your local scene. But yeah, so as you said, the UK Clash of Kings 2023 was held on the 9th of September at the Nottingham Trent University Student Union. And if you haven't seen, whose idea, this was just such an awesome idea. Whose idea was it to have the flying drone? That was awesome. Oh, so that, uh, how did that happen? So one of the players does drone photography professionally. Um, Richard and his son Brendan helps him um, and I think that John Fox said oh hey I've been chatting to this guy and he, he, he's he got he's got a little drone do you mind if you fly it and we were like oh not sure that's very safe the drone itself tiny like a tiny tiny little drone um, and he wears these VR goggles so he can see what the drone can see it's so cool oh, so yeah he just, he just hopped up and he was like oh do you mind if I do this I'm like that no I don't mind that's freaking awesome yeah so that was very very cool that was a really nice uh unexpected unplanned little little thing that just popped yeah up. so if you haven't seen that make sure you go check out uh, steve's youtube channel death by dragons i think you have some videos right on there sort of your yeah. your clash experience and getting uh the like a, a video diary basically of i liked watching that video of the event of getting everything set up and has some of the cool drone 
drone photography information. And I know I took part and helped uh, stream with Fox and a bunch of other people. How much do you think now has live streaming become a part of sort of the marquee Kings of War events? I think in miniature gaming itself, live streaming is a, has become really big. But I think that's now become a part of Kings of War too, right? Our big events need to have some sort of live streaming from the day. I think for this, we we thought it was essential. We normally... Kings of War live streams, like for for masters or whatever. A getting a quality of live streaming is hard. Um, getting it to the right level of quality, so that's been difficult, and and sometimes it's a frustrating thing to watch. So we wanted it to be uh, a decent enough quality. But you know, normally we get you you'd get like tens of people watching. Um, but I know for this particular one, I'm looking at it now. You know, there's over a thousand views, and we had concurrently, certainly towards the end of day two, up to a hundred people watching at the time, uh, which is a lot. So I think for these kind of big events, because we've made such a song and dance about it, people really wanted to see. And actually, you know, the live stream for me was one of the most frustrating parts of it because I put a lot of time and effort and thought into every part. And, and so did the rest of the committee, really. Everything was planned out. and We did contingencies for everything. And um, I knew for the live stream to be successful, we needed, um, we needed a fast computer that could run the cameras and then a separate computer for John to do his commentary and all that kind of stuff. And I turned up and the one thing that I had in fact, I picked up the wrong laptop charger. Oh, so I, no. I, I didn't have um, the laptop charger for my good laptop. And um, we had a backup laptop that, um, that, that Bob gave us, but it was a uh, not as not even close to being as powerful. And it just kept dying. It kept dying. Couldn't run three cameras. So one of like, I, I felt terrible. We had, um, uh, one of the one of the streamers when I when I put out the call for would anyone like to help us? One of the things will we be able to see all of the battlefield? And I was like, yes, not a problem, because I've got three cameras, right? I've got a dice camera, I've got an overhead, and I've got a side camera. Couldn't run three cameras on that laptop. It would just it just died and died and died. And so um, I felt really bad. It, well, it it wasn't the quality I wanted it to be. The camera I was using wasn't as good. Just little things that really annoyed yeah. me. I hadn't worked out the focal distance. Now. Bless her, Christine was coming to visit on day two. So my wife and she bought um she bought the laptop charger. So halfway through day two, the quality suddenly dramatically improved, and I worked out how to set the focal distance on the camera and stuff. But uh, that was frustrating for me because I'm uh, you know I became a perfectionist for this event and I wanted it to be great and I knew people were watching. Mm. Uh, so we, we we got there in the end. And John was a superstar, but I could get text messages through the day. Goes, Steve, camera's down again. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I mean, we had a great time. Uh, it was. Uh, Lots of people coming in and out. It was like a really fun uh, stream. We had a really great time. Lots of great audience interaction too, which I thought was great. Uh, mm. People not just watching, but people taking part and you know commenting on the games and everything. So, uh, and it's just lessons learned for next year, right? You you yeah, got to try out some right. things. You know now to do what you know what you need, what works, what doesn't work. So, uh, so what we've done. I mean, John's very kindly. Now he's now fully part of the committee. Um, he doesn't even play Kings of War anymore, bless him. <laughs> he plays Dead Zone. Um, but he's um, he's kind of taken full responsibility for making sure it runs next year. Right. So, so I, I can focus on you know helping to run the tournament with the other guys and he can, he'll do the stream. And then hopefully that will make things a bit easier for us. So I'm curious, Mark, what went into your thinking as far as maybe riffed on a little bit like why you want why you chose to go to uk clash this year or or what was sort of went into your decision making on wanting to go to the tournament 
Uh, well, I've always wanted to go. And you know, the one thing I promote on Countercharge all the time is hands across the sea type of thing. And I really like the interaction of the guys coming over from the UK or from the other countries, like Fred came in from Norway one time, I think for Crossroads. And um, I love that stuff. And when Steve announced it was going to be in Nottingham, it's like, I got to go. I got to find out a way to go because Warhammer World's there, River Horse is there. Warlord is there, Mantic is there, and it was just, you know, something I had to do. And, you know, Steve is there, and I happen to know a lot of these people, and, uh, you know, that I've met either in person or online over the years. It's like, I got to go. So I went, and I talked to my wife, and, uh, you know, the first time didn't go over so hot. Second time, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, I can go. And then uh, it actually got to the point where I got to come by myself, so which was great. So mm -hmm. I just, uh, and then something magical happened. We started uh, to have Aer Lingus fly from Cleveland to Dublin nonstop. And in order to get a air ticket, it was $2,200 from Cleveland to Dublin. And uh, when Aer Lingus came in, that went down to like 900 and some odd bucks. It's like, okay that's it. We're done. Yeah. So I got uh, John folks uh, on text and, you know, on the messenger and uh, we worked it all out. We, uh, we did it all in one day, one morning. We, we checked all the airlines, we got all the tickets and cut the deal. And uh, it's like, all right, we're going to do this thing. So it was fantastic. And I'm glad I did. I mean, it was, I ended up being the lone American to come, I think this year. Right, Steve. Yeah, we did have a, we had a few, uh, we had four book initially, but um, for various reasons, health and family reasons, the other three ended up dropping out. But yeah, you were the, the sole U.S. representative. That is true. Shame, shame upon you, United States of America. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have represented higher in the standings, but, you know, it was it was good to be there. It, it was nice. Well, Mark, uh, you, you were our, our goodwill ambassador. Because Absolutely. The you got to win. So you were giving them joy. So you were you, you were a goodwill ambassador. <laughs> I did manage to win two games. I went uh two and three, I think. So, you know, not too bad. I didn't score at the bottom, which is my tradition. So which is very, very good. But no, I had to go and uh had an absolute wonderful time. So it was mm -hmm. fantastic. So I came home with a little kind crud, but I would jump on that plane and do it all over again. Absolutely. That seems to me, and I I always say like Adepticon is a bucket list type event, or there's things that are just sort of like once in your life, if you're a miniature wargaming fan, you need to do something. And going to Nottingham seems like one of those things, right? To go into the, the Peter belt and to see all that stuff, not just to play in a tournament, but was that really cool as being like a lifelong miniature guy to be there in the Mecca or sort of the, the genesis of where so much of this hobby has come from? Oh yeah. I mean, that was a huge pull for me to go. I mean, it really was a major thing. And, you know, I, I flew in, I left Cleveland on Wednesday night, got there Thursday morning in the UK. And then, you know, we hung out, but I did a lot more there than just go to clash of Kings. I, I didn't leave until the following Wednesday. So uh, we had a great time. Thursday night, we went out to dinner, played some board games in the hotel. And then Friday, we were running around and we ended up at Mantic. Mantic hosted an open house event. And one of the really weird things was it was hot. 
And everybody's like, oh, it's never hot in the UK. So the, the hotel did not have air conditioning you know, and everything. And I'm okay with that. It, it worked out fine for me. If my wife was with me, it would not have worked out. But uh, but we had a great time at Mantic, uh, you know, doing the tour. And they were playing a big game. And it was just cool hanging out there. And then Saturday and Sunday, of course, we had Clash, which was fantastic. I can't say enough about it. Uh, if you get the chance to go, go. It was it was great being part of history. Uh, that's you know, and on top of that, everybody was friendly. The whole thing, so it was just fantastic soup to nuts. One of the big things was you had an active bar running in the tournament. Uh, like Steve said, it was in the university, and you know, if you needed water, they were just giving you water for nothing. And you know, if you wanted to drink, they had beer and. It was fantastic. And, you know, lunch, there were little venues all around or the Tesco or something. So I didn't find getting food difficult at all. Saturday night, Ronnie did his talk. That was a little rambunctious, but, uh, you know, we had a good time. You know, the my hosts, you know, I had multiple people come. Walter Simpson drove down from, uh, you know, the north to uh, hang out with us. He didn't play, but he was like at all the dinners and events and you know, everybody made sure I made, I ate traditional English fare. And so that was good. And so it was fantastic. And then Monday we went to Warlord in the morning. Uh, we got a tour there. And then I went over to visit Alessio at his company, River Horse, and uh, got a chance to sit down with him and, you know, go over thing and see his studio. And then we went to uh, Warhammer World that afternoon and, you know, did the exhibits and the gallery and, oh, it was fantastic. Uh, just, we had uh, lunch at Bugman's and it was amazing how many people from Clash were at Bugman's eating that day. So we had a really good time. Uh, and then Tuesday, Steve came and got me and uh, we went to Cosford, right? Uh, the RAF museum, which was fantastic. And uh, then I hung out with Steve and his family and then off to the airport and I came home. So, you know, it was a great trip. So I yeah, got lots of like pictures and it was productive. a once in a lifetime. I treated it like a once in a lifetime trip and yeah. uh, I can die happy now, Jeremy. That's what I tell people. The <laughs> trip was so good. If I go tomorrow, I have no regrets. I left it all on the table. I I'm done. Mic drop. It was that good of a trip. Wow. That's awesome. I'm so happy for you, man. And not at all jealous. So uh, that's cool. Very hey, cool. there was a chance. I, I thought you were going to make it there when you were talking about it. So it's like, well, I want oh, to. And like cool. I said, uh, uh, <laughs> my plan is my plan is to come next year. Uh, I'm already starting to try to put money aside for it to do a, a similar thing, come for the tournament, but then stay for uh, a vacation. I think that's a good idea, especially when you're traveling that far, right? To try to make it into more of a trip that uh, you have a, uh, bread on the front bread on the back and then the uk tournament is like the, the the meat in the middle so to try to kind of do some and like you said being part of a, a, a content creator or on various podcasts over the year you you meet a lot of people virtually or on air or whatever and it's nice to actually put uh, faces the voices or meet people in person that you got to know over the years so that's like a really cool aspect yeah, that was pretty cool. A lot of people, I got to say, came up and, you know, said, thank you, or I know that voice. And, uh, you know, I get that at Origins or Gen Con. So it was interesting to do it at a Kings of War tournament. So, but, you know, anybody, you know, if you want to stop and say hi, uh, you know, very, very happy to uh, 
take a few minutes and talk to people. So it was great. All my opponents were terrific. I mean, literally, I could not have asked for more. It was mm-hmm. that good. And I'm curious, when you have players coming from all over Europe, I know uh, for, for Clash you had players from all over. Steve, did you guys run into any language barrier issues? or, or how, how did that sort of play out? So, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think people, generally they appreciate that, you know, um, we, we did a totally, like in the, in the intro, we kind of talk about the fact that people... English isn't their first language, but you know, Kings of War is played around the world. The game system is understood. And the guys that come generally, their English is okay. I think there was three times when language became a, an issue, um, but it was generally generally to do with understanding. The bigger issue is more about how the game is played. You know, some parts of the world play the game very casually. Uh, there's not a lot of pre-measurement. There's not, you know, it's just like shove the thing forward, it's fine. Um, and if you're playing at a very high level, that could become a bit spiky. So I just kind of on repeat was like, mark your units, mark your units. And I went around everyone who was English second language. We did very patronizingly went, do you guys get what I said? Yeah. Mark your units. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's fine. Um, so that was really the thing. There was only, I think the, there's one where a player um, spent so much time understanding what his opponent was telling him, uh, the round time timed out and that, was quite upsetting for him so that that was unfortunate and there was one where it was just a, you know again a language barrier where somebody was running out of clock and generally it's running out of clock because of language barrier because he spent so much time explaining and he'd said to the person can i just double one it and the person had replied well yeah and what he was going to say well yeah but then and he'd go great and he, he just <laughs> rolled the nerve check and that's his clock and the guy's like that's not what i was saying and and then trying to understand the art, you know, what was being said when it needed a TO to kind of come out and then get somebody to translate. Those are the only real issues, but, you know, very few and far between. People were very um, genial, easygoing. Even when there was a problem, generally they told me afterwards, I didn't want to make a fuss because everyone's having such a good time, you know, which is not necessarily, you know, if there's a problem, just say it. it's not, it's not an issue to sort out. That's why we're there. So in general, it's fine. Most people speak excellent English. And if not, there is someone around who speaks the language. Understanding Mark's thick Ohio drawl may have been a problem for some people. It's just so much of playing clean Kings of War, especially in a tournament sphere, is that intention, right? My intention is I'm moving this up here to stay out of 18 of this. And I can imagine that that would be, if you couldn't have those type of conversations, that maybe misunderstandings or feel bad moments could arrive, arise. But it sounds like you guys did a pretty good job. I think it's okay. It's not perfect. Nothing's ever going to be perfect with with language. I think, you know, I think Peter, who won the tournament, um, his English is is not great, but by and large, he managed okay. You know, we, we manage. We do the best we can, right? Well, he managed to win. So yeah. <laughs> he seems he seems well. to do okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so speaking of that, what were I guess before we go into plans for next year? What were some of you felt? successes that things that worked really good what were maybe uh some things that you're looking at changing or improving on next year let's start first with some um successes what in looking back over the experience what do you felt went the way that you had hoped or that you were really proud of or why don't you touch base on that first so i think that the general the tournament experience was really good for a lot of people we put a lot of thought and time into stuff like um trying to make sure that there was enough time for food 
that there was enough table space, that the terrain, that was really very important to us that terrain was good. Um, I think having bad terrain, people expect massive tournaments to have to compromise on terrain. I don't think that's acceptable. I think if you're coming to a premium tournament, it should be premium. Um, and you're paying a lot of money for the UK for this kind of tournament. You know, it's the ticket is £60. That's more than any other tournament. And you should get you should get value for that money. So that went really well. You know, people, the, the, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, people said, you know, you know, a quote is, I've been wargaming for 20 years and this is the best tournament I've ever been to. You know, genuine, and which is just extraordinarily gratifying. So that was good. The food went well. Um, the flow of games went well. I think, you know, that was excellent. Um, yeah, so people just had a, had a good time and then <laughs> we didn't go over budget. So that was all good. I think in terms of what, um, what I would, what unfortunate things, you know, it being 30 degrees, you know, uh, 30 degrees centigrade, what's that in Fahrenheit? That's just uh, 30 centigrade. Yeah, you're speaking, you're speaking Greek to me, but no, I don't know. In the eighties, so. it was eighty-six. It was eighty-six uh, degrees Fahrenheit. It was um, hot. We had the fire alarms go off. You'll have to tell yeah, that yeah, story, yeah. Steve. <laughs> but then, yeah, so so I think you know the heat was a problem because the venue. Oh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Blah 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 blah. It was not fine. Yeah, you know, the venue, the the club venue itself was fine because that's uh, it's aircon. But the there was an issue with the air conditioning in the sports hall whereby they told us it wasn't working, blah, 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 blah. And then they were having work done on their fire alarms, as Mark said, which set the fire alarms off. And after that happened, they somehow mysteriously found their air conditioning controls and turned it on. So that, that was annoying, but you know, people managed as well as they could. We had to hire some giant fans from a, from a higher place nearby, um, which was expensive, but um, important. And then I put them in the wrong place, kind of, so... Little things like that, you know. We had I have these giant um, TVs that I'd got um, to be display screens, and there was little things like you couldn't quite the resolution wasn't quite right. Blah, 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 blah. Tiny things like that didn't go right. There's always there's always things you can improve on. Uh, in general, the fact you know it's our first time doing it as a team, it's our first time anyone has done a Kings of War tournament this large. You know, there was semantic companion hiccups um, on the first day, which put us back a bit, and we ended up an hour late on the first day. Second day went exactly to time, largely because Nick um, um, very kindly hung around and helped with the data entry. So, you know, we, we need an extra data entry person. That's something we know. Um, without Nick, it wouldn't have happened. So Elliot was great and everyone pulled together. It was a really good experience, you know, and we were out of the venue before we said we would be the clear. The, 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 it took us three hours to set it up and it took an hour to, to close it down. Really, that's extraordinarily quick. We had so much help from the community. And you've mentioned it before uh, about that, you know, this was not a one-man army, that you had mm. fellow TOs, people helping you. How important do you think it is for when you get to a certain size of event that you have not just a TO, but you have a TO team? Oh, hugely. I, I could not do it on my own. Um, and, you know, I remind people every time it's not just me, I'm just a loud one. Um, you know, we, uh, there's a team of us, this team of five core people on the actual committee and then an army of helpers um, and Mantic help out just as much. You know, it's, it's, it's a big thing. Um, we're doing it more ourselves this year. So Mantic did our ticket handling for us last year. We're doing the ticket handling ourselves this year, which is a whole other thing. So it's become a bit more formal. We've had to set up things like bank accounts, you know, because actually taking over 10,000 pounds worth of tickets is a lot. 
you can't just I can't just have people PayPal me because <laughs> the tax man <laughs> the tax man wouldn't like it. I have to have an actual you know you have to do a ticket vendor. That's a whole thing, by the way, because like the the challenge of online payment providers trying to persuade them that we're not gambling because it says gaming. And as soon as they see the word gaming, they think it's gambling. I've had my online payment provider literally close my account without warning twice, and we haven't even started taking money yet. They just keep closing it, going, well, you're in contravention of our... I'm like, no, it's not It's not gambling. <laughs> All because on the Mantic blog, a year ago, I wrote something that went, um, and the prize will be amazing. And they go, well, there's a prize. So you're gaming for prizes, therefore, I'm closing your account. I'm like, no, stop. It's not. <laughs> we're playing with toy soldiers. Uh, um, you're like, let me send you pictures. It's not. It's that's uh, hilarious. Exactly. Who? Who? I mean, how? Who knew that this would be a thing? It's just so I'm trying to persuade them that I'm not a gamb. I'm not like like running a massive roulette uh -huh. or a back alley <laughs> casino or something right. like that. Yeah. That's so hilarious. you know, it's and it's, it's all that kind of stuff is is is. is, is so yes, it's a it's a massive team effort, and you can't do it on something this size. It's insane. You know. At the moment, we're trying to work out who will TO because some of you know some of the committee do like to play. Some of the committee um, are happy to help out, but we've we figured we need four people on the ground plus two data entry plus a streaming person. So that's a team of seven. You need really to run it properly. Um, so there's a, a lot that goes into that thought, and we get you know we get support from from Mantic in some of that aspects. But mm. and then I loved how you guys looked. Uh, you know, if you're curious, there uh, there is on the UK Masters KOWmasters.com some information around the Clash of Kings uh, event that we just had, i.e., all the awards and stuff. How important was it for you to not only hold a competitive on the table event, but to also try to recognize best army best model the sort of the hobby side how important was that to you to try to incorporate that into clash absolutely critical i mean just just so important i mean you know in terms of the competitive nature of it you know it had to be six games because with that number of people it has to be six minimum to to get the clearance at the top um but then in hobby wise we actually had a, a bit of a problem because um and you, you've talked about this in, in your recent um, podcast you guys did around um, gatekeeping, right? Hobby gatekeeping is that some people, some people's painting has got so good and modeling has got so good that it's almost as if other people will believe, why the hell, why would I bother? And if you can imagine the challenge of hobby judging a hundred and something army, 150 armies is, is cool. we had to make the lunch times longer <laughs> just to get around them and beg people to put their armies out twice. And then we looked at it, you know, there were three armies that were really, really, really outstanding beyond, like, they were like Golden Demon Crystal Brush quality armies. That that ridiculously, ridiculously good. Chris Walsh, it, we, we were close to renaming it the Chris Walsh Award and banning him from entering because he just wins every bloody year. He's so unbelievably talented. And then Paul Welsh comes out, and then Dan Reed's back in the scene. These two guys are just exceptional, exceptional hobbyists. And so we kind of sat down and said, this, this, this isn't good enough because actually I wouldn't enter. I've won painting awards. I wouldn't enter because there's no point. I won't win. So we, we created um, Judges' Choice Awards, whereby each of the TOs that wasn't playing, including Ronnie, picked an army that they just loved, that they loved um, not because it's like crystal brush quality, um, but just because it's it's something that is either achievable but special, they've done something clever. It's the presentation, something like that. And we got to pick um, those those judges' choice awards to almost give people 
something to compete for in a way because there are people who are there competing for the top prize and they bloody well should but there are people there who are doing an incredible job and it's beautiful and i look at it and think that's so so good i want to give this award but i can't because look at this thing over here so we created those and we're going to make those we actually came up with them on the fly it was site and my friend Cy brand one of the one of the to's ideas he said why not do this and we're like yep doing that immediately and mantic gave us some vouchers to do it but we're going to make it an, a formal prize with a, with a special award you know and and we don't give prizes because we're not a, as i've stated we're not a tournament but one of our sponsors may give something to some of those people who win uh those judges choice awards just because i think that's really something worth so you have something to paint for something that you know and, if you yeah. put, put the effort in and then it's recognizable then you're you're competing for something as well and with that many players, it's good to have more awards to just hand out, right? So that yeah. there's a, you know, more, I'm, I'm a big fan of not so much the everyone who comes gets a trophy, but it's nice to know that there's a variety of things that you can try to compete for. Uh, and that if you're not like a Chris, a Paul or a, a, a Dan, you you know what I mean? Which are three amazing hobbyists, not just in the UK, but globally, you know, you're, you know what I mean? You're, you're not going, uh, knowing that it's pr- the paint award's probably going to go to one of three people so why should i even put extra art effort because in the end a tournament i think the better the armies are painted from top to bottom the more engaging and cool a tournament is so whatever we can do to encourage not just the top painters to keep painting but everyone and that's why i think we in the us we 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 promote overall scores that include paint just as a way to try to promote people to up their paint game because in the end we're playing a visual game you know and the better the paint of the armies i think it's a cooler you create a cooler atmosphere yeah i think yeah we, we've had the debate um overall not overall it was a polite yet fierce debate i think we are probably not going to be getting overall scores for clash of kings uh in the near future i think just because there's a lot of passion that goes into that argument as well. We, yes. we had a number of times. Oh, I handle. I like. I like where we've settled with ours. You know, people play the game to be the game. If you're a hobbyist, you can compete for the awards that we've got. That's great. There's always countercharger to head to head for in the center there, um, which is you know we have that award as well as well as the best spoon you've ever seen. You know, the biggest spoon you've ever seen. Certainly, it was like a, it was like a four foot wooden spoon that Bob painted for us. It was extraordinary. Um, yeah, which is won by a store owner from Leeds. So he displays it pride of place in his store now as, uh, That's awesome. as the worst the worst Kings of War player in, in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Display with pride. Right. Um. Well, well, awesome. Um, okay, well, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, as we wrap up the show, we're going to be taking a look at Clash of Kings 2024. We're going to get all the hot, juicy details from Steve. And we will be right back. Hello, this is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and I hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to Countercharge. This is Paige from Singapore with the YouTube Battle Report channel Newbie Dice, and you're listening to Zanshen Fan Ji. Okay, we are back. I'm excited, Steve, uh, to hear. I know you got, are, are getting ready uh, already, as you said, planning Clash for 2024. So why don't you take us through some of the logistics? Are you guys going to be holding Clash in 2024 at the same venue at that uh, student union place? Yep, so it will once again be at the level, um, Nottingham Trent Student Union. Um, uh, this year we have um, done some more calculations. We've maxed, we're increasing the number of players um, so we should be able to go up to, I think, 186 players for this year's tournament, um, which I'm expecting to sell out pretty quickly. Uh, the tournament will be... So 
it's set two weeks, the week, uh, two weekends after our school term starts. Okay, so every year. So this year it's the 14th and 15th of September. So it's a week later than it was. So 14th and 15th of September, um, 2024 will be the day. It's also the week before. The reason that we have to we have to do it then is because one, the weekend after school starts, most people who've got kids aren't, aren't going to be able to manage that. Two weeks after it's fine, everyone's settled in a little bit, but it's also the week before Freshers' Week because it's a student union. Uh, we can't run it when the students are there because they, they are a club and it opens for students. So the weekend before, all the students are starting to come back so they can staff it because all their staff are students. So it, it's just that perfect sweet spot for running it in that venue, 14th and 15th of September. Uh, the ticket should, as long as the student union can finalise their price for me, which they're working on, uh, the ticket should be going on sale on the 1st of November this year so that's in nice so you can plan nice and early so you can get your ticket uh mm -hmm. plan your travel and as far as if there are people who want to travel from outside of the country and they're just curious about maybe getting some logistical support on what airport they should fly into or stuff like that can they who should can they just reach out to you or uh do you have sort of like a liaison for people who are traveling in who maybe are not quite sure where to go or where where, where to stay how would they find out that information so, yeah, so there is, I think it's still up. There is a traveler's pack on the, let me just uh, load, load this up while we're talking, on clashofkings.uk, which is our website. Uh, it's not up there. I'm such an Yeah, I actually found that very helpful, Steve. So I'm glad that you guys put that up. So I'm going to I'm gonna stick that back up. I'm not sure why it's not there. I'll put that back up by the time this comes out. There's a traveler's pack, which gives you kind of details about how to travel and where to travel to, talks about awesome. the venue. So that, it'll be slightly out of date because it's... Um, based on last year, but all the information in there is absolutely about getting nothing that is in there. People are very, very welcome to reach out to us um, and we'll do our best. Our, our, um, you can either go via the clashofkings.uk website. There is a contact us form there, or you can email us at ukclashofkings at gmail.com. So ukclashofkings at gmail.com, um, which is, we'll answer all your questions. We'll help you out as best, best we can. So please do reach out. Um, do come. You know, there is a, uh, we had 25% um, of the attendees were from outside of the UK, so you will be in good company. Um, I've just heard that Jeremy Duval, famous webcaster, uh, podcaster, may come. Uh, you may meet Mark Zelinsky again, depends if he gets the wife pass again. Well, I've uh, got breaking news on that, Steve, if you ooh, want it right ooh. now. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, on the way down, I, I said, oh, I'm going to go chat with Steve and Jeremy about, uh, you know, next year's Clash of Kings. She says, is this going to be in Nottingham again? And I'm like, yes, it is. I'm very excited. She's like, oh. I said, why? She says, well, I'd like to go to London. I said, well, maybe I'll fly in early. I'll go to Clash of Kings and then meet you in London. And she's like, yeah. oh, go do your podcast. So... <laughs> let's get it the boss, the boss has waited we are a small country guys if you're coming from abroad you will not appreciate how small we are london, london to nottingham is like uh less than two hours right so you can you can jump on the train it's nice and easy there's a direct train it's 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 really easy to do london's a beautiful place to visit the midlands is a beautiful place to visit we had i got you know our friend Muhammad gaddafi General Gaddafi came. He came for an extraordinary amount of time. Traveled the whole country. He went to Warwick Castle. He went to Wales. He went to everywhere in Nottingham. He went to London. He had a great time. So yeah, um, hit Gaddafi if you want some ideas. The guy he knows about how to travel around the country, man. And you know, um, I would be delighted to welcome everyone uh, to Clash of Kings. We want some. 
some of the, you know, at the moment, everyone in the UK thinks the US plays like Mark Zelensky, guys. So we need some uh, <laughs> yeah, easy need, marks uh, for good victories. Is that what you're yeah, thinking, Steve? <laughs> and if you kind of, I've heard you guys are terrible at Kings of War. So you need to come and show us how to play. But the, the UK master, Chris Lynch, didn't come to Clash of Kings because he found out that he thought maybe the US master might come and they might have a master off. But he didn't. So he didn't come because it was his wedding anniversary. But he's promised that he'll come. So if you want to play our UK master, it might be Chris, it might be someone else. We'll have done our UK masters by then. Uh, Tom Robinson was there, you know, best player in the world. He had, a, he was on the top table last game. Um, Javier, you'll meet Javier if you're going to Adepticon, Jeremy. You'll meet Javier. Yes. He won Clash of Kings at um, London GT last year. He nearly won this year. He was just pipped at the post. A fantastic player and a lovely man. He's about six for eight. He's enormous. Lovely Spanish guy. And he played. Uh, he played ogres too, right? So he's playing an army c- commiserate with how he looks as a person. So <laughs> he's dude. more of an elf. He's like an enormously tall man. Um, uh, he was um, he played uh, elves last time and he played ogres this time. He's an exceptionally good player. Awesome. I think he's a great guy and super super nice. Um, so yeah, do like a, he's he he him and his friends always come to Clash of Kings. You know the Spanish um, put up a good fight and take some filthy armies. They're great players. You know the Polish are definitely going to come back in force uh, to yeah. try and defend their title. You know, yeah, so I really think that it's. It's become, especially this last year, a, a true um, place where globally, maybe, because we have it in uh, Australia, has the Australian Masters, UK Masters, we have the US Masters. We have a lot of events that countrywide bring in the top players, but I really can see the UK Clash of Kings becoming the event where not just the top players from your country, but really let's make it an event where the top players from the entire world show up and play in one tournament. You know, maybe we can get some of the, the get Tracy up there, get some of the Aussie guys, you know, get a, a little bit more contingent of the U.S. players and really make it like a true who's who event. I think that could be pretty awesome. That would be very cool. And it's it's what's nice about it because of its size. You can have these exceptionally good players kind of playing really at the top, the top level of Kings of War, that kind of top level play. However, I would say, you know, well over half of the event is casual players. There's people who only do Clash of Kings. They don't do any other tournaments because they're not competitive people. You know, um, Mark played our, uh, our friend Heather, you yeah. know, who doesn't do competition. Just the loveliest person. Just turns up because they they really love the game and have fun. And so some of those more casual players come only to Clash of Kings and have an amazing time. So the whole, and what you find is that after game two, you know, you might have a bad matchup for game one. Let's say you're a casual player and you get, you know, matched up against Jeremy Duval and get your, your hiney kicked all the way back to wherever you came from. It doesn't matter because by game three, you're, you're, you're in yeah. your zone and then you're actually, what you're finding, you're having a challenging, enjoyable game at whatever level of the game you play. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the great thing about such a big event. Yeah, and tournament takes players of all, and that's what we've always tried to be uh, proponents of, right? No matter your skill level, you you are going to have fun at tournaments. Maybe your first game, if you're uh, based on who you get matched up with. But I mean, in an event that size, and especially an event with six games, you're going to land where you where you're going to be playing like minded, like skilled players. So don't let yeah. the fact that so many good players are going intimidate you, right? Uh, tournaments can be fun for all walks of life, all tournament types. So much of what makes tournaments so great is like Mark said, it's the dinners and the board games and all the other things besides just playing the games. It really is uh, experience. I think there's a reason why we do tournaments and it's because of that community and fellowship and all the fun 
I mean, if someone's never been, they'll go. And then on the Monday after so many times I hear, oh, dude, I totally get it. Like, I get why you like going to tournaments now. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you win or lose often. It's just such a fun experience. That's oh, it. Yeah. And, See if I'm going to jump in real quick. Yeah. I mean, I got to say my game against Heather Armstead at the end, that was my favorite game of the entire tournament. We had so much fun. I think I laughed continuously. It was, we had such a good time and she had a beautifully uh, painted uh, pirate ogre army. And, you know, we were naming some of her guys and, you know, uh, her, her uh, giant, we called Kaka. He was a giant parrot. And, you know, we were calling people out and we called one of her, uh, Sarge, her ogre sergeants blender because he was just, uh, he was unbelievable. And he was just blending up units, uh, getting flank charges. And we were as tactical as uh, Colin and I are in the basement, but it was all dice. It was, a, uh, I, it was so much fun. And then of course you hit on it, Jeremy, you know, it takes everybody to make a tournament like this. So, you know, when I got to present the counter charge award and all that, the gentleman that won it, it was his very first tournament. He was so excited, <laughs> you know, getting the medal and the uh, trophy and everything coming down. And he's like, this is my first tournament. And it's like, see, that's why we have this award. So absolutely, because it takes everybody to make a great tournament. Mm-hmm. Well, and if I go to the tournaments that I go to myself, I like to bring a special countercharger award. And I know Mark is of the same thing. When we're at an actual event, we try to bring something special. So I'm already in the works of thinking about what I'm going to bring uh, or what I'm going to ship you, Steve, for a countercharger, which is the statistically hardest award to win. So uh, you'll have something exciting to uh, uh, look for. And I think I think it's just great. I think when I take a step step back and look at where we are as a game system, where we are as a community on the eve of Twilight Kin being released of the new Clash book, which is awesome. I really think that Kings is 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 growing into itself and sort of the vision and the uh, the the promise of Third Edition and of sort of the Mantic 2.0 philosophy of not more complex armies but more rich. That's what I think about, right? When I look at the new Night Soccers or new Twilight Kin or new Northern Alliance, it's not the complexity of added rules bloat, but for me, it's a richness of design. It's a, 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 a development of flavor and lore. And it's like things have been simmering in the pot. And I think we have a really great rules committee right now. But maybe as we sort of start to wrap up the show, let's let's sort of rift on that. Like just as, as a TO Steve, as a player yourself, how do you feel about the direction the game is going and maybe the state of the game as it is right now, does anything come up for you? I think we, you know, it's, it's difficult to comment on that pre the release of the book Clash of Kings, uh, which is coming in just in a week or so, isn't it, a couple of weeks. And you guys have seen it. I haven't seen it. In terms of how the game is going, I think it's different in different parts of the world. I think certainly here in the UK, we are in a boom time. We're seeing more and more players, more and more participation, loads of new players, loads of community being built. I think that's, you know, it's a fantastic time over here. It's, it's different in different parts of the world. I've seen some discussions, particularly in countries that are so large as, uh, as America. You, know, you get regional variation where you've got big scenes. You've got a very competitive scene over there, um, which, which, which is, is, is quite different. In terms of how the game is at the moment, I think we're at a, a period where Mantic is, is growing. Um, and they are, the game is, in some respects, getting more complex more individual rules. Um, I don't know how that's going to pan out. I, I think the 
the veneer of simplicity is slipping a little bit, which concerns some people, but change is necessary and important. So for me, that's something that um, I'm keeping an eye on. I'm, I'm, I'm quite a casual player now. I, um, I'm quite happy with the game's state. I'm quite happy with how complex or not complex it is. Uh, I'm just enjoying playing it. I think we, we're moving as well from having a once a year update to having like individual armies updated through the year. And that is for model reasons, right? So they can release whole ranges, um, which makes sense for the business to keep running. So if you're going to get people excited about ranges, you can't release armies once a year. It doesn't make much sense. So they need to update rules and release armies as they go through the year. I get it. I totally get it. Um, I think they are, as a company, very conscious of the accusation of going down that uh, big company route of making one army more powerful than the others so that people will buy them. I think they've done a good job with Twilight Kin. I think they're not as, you know, they're not overpowered compared to others. They're more complex, but the balance is being maintained quite interestingly. I've seen a lot of discussion in some of our groups around where the rules are going, uh, which part, you know, are we moving towards like a more hero hammer where individual units become so powerful I, I, I'm not as expert enough of a player really to comment on it. I'm, I'm very happy with how the game is. I'm very happy with how our scene is. I think we've the next two years while we approach kind of GW's old world release will be kind of a heyday for Kings of War. Um, how it will pan out after that, my crystal ball is clouded. But at the moment, I think we're in a really, really good place. I'm really enjoying it. I'm loving doing Clash for Kings. You know, it hasn't grown old. Everyone's like, well, you must be tired. And I'm like that. Nah, man, I'm 90% way into planning the next one. We're on. Let's go. <laughs> I've got, you know, goodie bags going on. I've got sponsorship, you know, big sponsorship um, for next year, which is really exciting. Uh, we've got stuff that, you know, there's lots of benefits for it being so massive, I think. So we're at a stage where it's either going to be really, really good for a couple of years and then die, or it's going to keep growing and growing. and It's just going to explode. And we're going to find ourselves, you know, in, in, the golden age so we'll see how it goes but it's a great time right now i'm really enjoying it yeah it's going to be like adepticon in america you know it started out really small and just we're we've outgrown our venue again i mean even with the expanded hotel i i don't know where they're going to put that convention it's it's really gotten big so hopefully yeah. we'll have that problem uh in the uk for clash of kings it'll just become such an event that uh you know It'll, it's a it'll problem. Just be fabulous. Yeah, I, I've, it's a I've good problem out. to have. It's a good yeah. problem to have. <laughs> I've maxed out the current venue with this the, the year we got coming up, and if we do sell out, I'm going to have to look at expanding it. And I don't want to leave it. I love that venue. <laughs> Anything else would be not as good. So yeah, just it was great being. It. it was great being on a college campus. You know, mm. the one road was closed in between the buildings, and you were just. It was like being back in college. And I know everybody didn't like Witherspoons all that much, but hey, when you can get a beers for a pound sixty eight, how can you beat that? I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, the beer was so cheap there; it was yeah. unbelievable. It was just, a, and I, yeah, yeah, it's cheap and cheerful, but hey. <laughs> It was, I, I ate there a lot. So, well, I mean, I'm the internal optimist. So, what my hope around uh, the old world is that people, it comes out and people get back in the rank and flanks and then they play it and they find out that it's like this, these rules are kind of weird. Uh, is there another game that you can play this style of game with where the rules are better? And then maybe, you know, maybe we can revitalize rank and flank gaming. But that's just a wild card. I think you said, Steve, who knows really what I think it's just uh, up in the air. I mean, 
maybe some of those, the hardcore GW people will leave. I think Kings now has been around long enough that there's people who have never played Warhammer who are into Kings and have been playing Kings now for years. But I, I think it is a little bit of an unknown on what that release is going to uh, uh, affect um, our game, but we're just going to have to wait and see. And in the meantime, what we can do is try to run great tournaments, try to have uh, a good uh, uh, communities to discuss, good podcast shows to listen to, uh, you know, YouTube channels to watch, and in the end, just try to uh, be good stewards of the game. And uh, the dice are going to fall wherever they fall. I think. Very wise, so wise. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes every now and then something good comes out of the mouth. So he's but, like uh, a tiny miniature Buddha covered in fur. Well, I, I, I got the belly for it that I've been working on decreasing, so uh, not quite as much. That's the one thing that 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 like always happens uh, post divorce. You're like, okay, I'm gonna get in shape. I'm gonna do this. This is gonna be yeah. great. Uh, yeah, you know. But as we wrap up the show, Steve, do you want to maybe give a shout out to some people who helped you run Clash of Kings that were on your sort of committee? Any shout outs you want to give? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So my, my committee is amazing. You know, um, you've got uh, Jan, who comes with Bob, because Jan and Bob come as a pair. They're amazing. Uh, Jan Stother, and you've got Matt G and Cy Brand. And uh, we had Nick as well, obviously. And then we have uh, now we have John, who did a lot of streaming. Thank you so much. Those guys are amazing. You know, I, I take all the credit or normally, but the, these guys are really the engine that keeps it running. You know, and we had... Uh, um, Ronnie and Martin and Elliot um, from Mantic, who really, you know, uh, really helped us out massively so much. You know, even things like, because they did the ticketing, they paid for all the transfer fees that I didn't even realize I now have to pay for. They just, you know, Mantic sucked that up for us. Um, they provided, you know, all the infrastructure and the prizes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, just just really great guys. And, and Martin, uh, absolute legend, and we'll really miss him. Um, and at Barrett, you know, he gave up his weekend, although he was working, you know, he you know, programmed his little fingers off and did all the data entry along with Nick. So they're just super, super great people. And all the people, you know, there was a huge raft of people that came and helped us out sitting up and clearing down, uh, you know, too many people to mention, really. It was just a really great collaborative experience. And we had all the people from the university that helped us out. Just really, really great. Great, awesome. great, great people. Great community. Really happy. And as far as you, Mark, I know probably there were some great people who who took you in, gave you rides, helped host you. Is there any shout outs you want to give as we wrap up the show? Oh, yeah. I'm, you know, big shout out to the uh, guys that are doing the Mantic Universe podcast, Chris Thomas and Clem Quinson, because uh, I went to really meet up with them. Trent was supposed to show up, but, you know, had some issues and couldn't come. And so we hung out together like basically the whole time. So, uh, you know, we went to Warhammer World and all these different places together and just had a wonderful time. It was nice having a core group. You know, big shout out to Walter Simpson, not playing. A, hopefully we're going to be dragging Waltz back into the game. So he had such a good time hanging out with everybody. And, you know, he was meeting some of these people for the first time. Uh, Jez Gurney. Uh, what's the name? of it? Is Kukulkin, Steve, the game that Jez did? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jez designed a board game. And so he was selling off the last of his stock and it was really a lot of fun. It's a board game where you're trying to get four pieces in a row and it's kind of got like a little pyramid to it. That was a blast. Uh, Dan King got me some Lorcana cards. I, you know, cause can't get them in the U S and uh, Dan ran across them and he's really getting into that game with his family. So 
I was able to come in and uh, we were able to manage to get in a game of uh, Lorcana while we were there, which was fun. It was nice being taught how to play. And, uh, oh, geez, I mean, everybody I went to dinner with and just, you know, everybody I saw. So it was really a good time. And Jan and Bob, too, you know, got to give a shout out to them. They were very helpful. We had dinner with them one night. And, uh, yeah, just it was just a great time overall. So very, very nice. I always forget. Sorry, I always forget to shout out Joe McLaren, um, my friend Joe, uh, who is an amazing illustrator and designed our logo for us for free. Um, what what a what a great guy uh, he is! Awesome. Um, he he also designs the the covers of the modern Terry Pratchett novels. Amazing artist. Um, so he's amazing. I forget my my Birmingham gamers, my Midland gamers who came and we shared a house with them. You know Russell and Dan and my friend Simon. There's so many people I would I can I can thank. Russell cleared all my terrain for me. Ah, everyone's amazing. So yeah, more people today. I've forgotten at least 10, 20 people. I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. we could do a whole show on it. I mean, seriously, that was it was so much fun. Well, awesome, fellas. Thank you so much. Like Steve said, stay tuned for early November. Sign up early, get your ticket early. Clash will sell out. So make sure if you're interested, get your ticket, get your plane tickets. The earlier you plan, the cheaper it will be. So let's make this a uh, amazing follow up uh, to, again, the most people ever to Kings of War events. So thank you guys. Stay tuned. We're going to be having a lot of great countercharge coverage over the fall. We're going to be working on army reviews. That's one of our main focuses right now with the new Clash book coming out. We have a lot of army reviews planned. Uh, if you haven't heard them already, they're going to be coming out soon. So stay tuned for that. And Mark, let, show us how it's done and take us out. All right. And until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.